during which we're going to review question eight, and then we're going to learn question nine together. Let's pray. We'll get started. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this day that you've given us, this first day of the week where you've called us to come together and worship you with our church family. So we're looking forward to seeing our friends and family today, and we're looking forward to singing to you together with one voice. We're looking forward to praying to you together with one voice, and we're looking forward to hearing from you, hearing from you through the preaching of your word. And now, God, we are looking forward and excited to think about the truth of your word. So help us, we pray, to understand the truth that is in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's begin with some review. And let's say these together. I'll put the answers up there for us. Question number one. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Question two, what is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in His power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through Him and by His will. Question three, how many persons are there in God? There are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Question four, how and why did God create us? God created us, male and female, in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. Question five, what else did God create? God created all things by his powerful word. And all his creation was very good. Everything flourished under his loving rule. Question six. How can we glorify God? We glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and by obeying his will, commands, and law. Question seven. What does the law of God require? Personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done. And what God commands should always be done. And now this week we had memorized question eight. What is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. That was the longest one so far. Question eight. What is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? Any kids want to take a shot at this? Well, we actually have some. Great. Okay. Caleb, stand up. And I'm going to read this while you're doing it because I need to. Let me ask you the question. What is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? Got it? You're, so you're through the first two commandments. You're on to the third commandment. You got you shall. Nice recovery, Caleb. Okay. Anyone else? Wesley, well, you're like half. You want to do half of it? Is that what that means? Josh, you know it? Okay, Josh, stand up loud and proud. What is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? Correct. Nice job, Josh. Anyone else? I didn't think so. Let's say it together one more time. What is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. 
You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. Okay, let's begin learning the next question together. Question nine. What does God require in the first, second, and third commandments? So this is now zooming in on question eight. What does God require in the first, second, and third commandments? Here is the answer. If you can read it, let's read it together. First, that we know and trust God as the only true and living God. Second, that we avoid all idolatry and do not worship God improperly. Third, that we treat God's name with fear and reverence, honoring also his word and works. That is question nine. Now let's make sure that we understand it. Here's the commentary. Part of the commentary. Let me quote it. Written by John Lynn. The first three commandments show how we are to live in reference to and in light of the only true and living God. The first commandment tells us that we are to have no other gods but God. He is to be the exclusive object of our worship, the ultimate object of our love and desire. The second commandment is similar and tells us that we are not to worship God according to our own conception of God, what the Bible calls idolatry. We must worship God according to who he is and not according to what we want him to be. In other words, do not worship false gods and do not worship God falsely. So that is how he puts the distinction between commandment number one and commandment number two. Summarized in that last line, which I found helpful. Do not worship false gods, commandment one. And commandment two, do not worship God falsely. So I think while we're looking at these Ten Commandments and considering them, it's good for us to be a bit introspective and to ask ourselves some questions because most of us have heard the Ten Commandments over and over again. We've heard them for a long time. And you know that if we hear something over and over and over again, we can tend to become sort of immune to it. We don't, we don't think about it anymore when we hear it. We don't. We don't contemplate. We don't ask ourselves important questions anymore. We assume we know what it's saying. And when the Ten Commandments come along, it's good for us, I think, to slow down and to ask ourselves some important questions. We might just hear these commandments and quickly think, that's not a problem for me. I don't struggle with that. That's not a sin that I deal with. But maybe it'd be good to dig a little deeper so, consider this question. 
Who do you worship? Young and old, everyone here, ask yourself that question right now. Who do you worship? Do you worship yourself? Do you worship uh, a friend? Do you worship someone you admire or look up to? An athlete, maybe? Do you worship your spouse? Do you worship your children? In other words, who gets your time? Who gets your affection? Who gets your thoughts? Who gets your admiration? Who gets all that the most? And who gets all that first? And who gets all that more than anyone else? So you love God, you love others, you admire God, and you have others that you admire. You show affection to God and you show affection to others. But when it comes to this question of who is it that you worship, it's asking who is in the, the place of prominence in your life? Who is first and foremost? Not to say that you can't love anyone else and you can't admire anyone else and you can't have affection for anyone else and you can't think about anyone else. But at the end of the day, who is it that is consuming to you? Who is it that you are consumed with? Who, who is it that you want the approval of more than anyone else? Who is it that you want... Um, to admire more than anyone else? Who is it that you want to show and demonstrate affection for than anyone else? Is it God? And if you say it's God, which you're good Christians, so that's your answer. It's God. And maybe you slow down a bit there and maybe you see some things that might need adjustment or to change in your life. But you would all affirm that if that's happening, you need to worship God and God alone. So the next question is, is if it's God, is it the God of the Bible? Is it the God of the Bible? So it's a good thing to say, I worship God. I worship the one true and living God. I am committed to God. And when people say that, they mean not myself and not my spouse and not my kids. God is number one. But there's a very important question that question two or the, the, the second commandment gets to. And that is, which God? Which God? Is it the God of the Bible? Or is it your God? Now, here's the thing. It, the God of the Bible is God as he is revealed to us in Scripture. So if, if your God is not that God, then you're not worshiping God. If your God even resembles that God, but is not that God, then you're not worshiping God. So for some people, that's very clear, and they would just say, well... No, I don't worship 
the God of the Bible. I worship God as he's revealed in the Quran, or I worship God as he has been revealed ultimately through his prophet Joseph Smith, or I worship God as he's been revealed through his prophet this or his prophet that. And a lot of people right away be very clear. No, I don't worship the I worship God, but I don't worship the God of the Bible. But again, now less clear. We're back to good Christians. We're back to good Christians now. You would all say. You would all know the right answer. Any evangelical Christian would. I worship the God of the Bible. Now. Do you really? Do you really? Do you worship the God that is revealed to you in Scripture? From Genesis to Revelation. Have you ever come across something in your Bible that disturbed you? That's a good thing if you have. Have you ever come across something told to you in God's word about himself that that puzzled you, that troubled you? Here's a question. Have you ever, do you remember reading something in the Bible about God that you didn't like? That you didn't like? That offended you. Now at that point you have two ways that you can go. Basically two ways that you can ultimately go. You can accept it. If it's clear in God's word. You can accept it. And then pray. Now God I don't just want to accept it. Help me to love this. Help me to understand this. And help me to worship you. Because of this. And that's the way that you should go. But the other way that is very tempting to go is to come across something about God in the Bible that you don't like and to find somebody, somebody in history, history past or history recent or in the present who has written an interpretation of the Bible that's more palatable, that agrees with your senses, that fits in your box, that makes logical sense, that is not offensive. And we're still here under the umbrella of what's at least called Christianity. And we're all Christians, but then you whittle it down and you narrow it down and you find that this is true. And it may have been true for some of you that there are people who call themselves evangelical Christians who would say, I worship the God of the Bible. And then you start describing the God of the Bible and they say things like, well, if that's God, then I don't want to follow him. Or they say things even like that's not my God. Okay, when somebody says something like that, they're very clearly telling you that they've crafted an idol. But they're not worshiping the God of the Bible. They've come up with an interpretation. They've come up with something that resembles the God of the Bible, but he's not as offensive. He's not as controlling. He's not as angry over sin, especially the sins that you struggle with. He's really upset and really angry about the sins that you don't struggle with conveniently. But the things that bother you, God's it's not such a big deal to him. He's a permissible God. He's a unobtrusive God. 
you sand down all the hard edges. I mean, when you read the Bible and we understand who God is, there's just a lot of hard, hard edges and, and, and points and, you know, and, and jagged corners and things that, oh, wow, wow, and, oh, that has lots of implications. And, and the temptation is just to sand all that down, sand it all down until it's just nice and nice and smooth. And oh, that's that's better. That's that's easier to swallow. That's easier to take. But be careful. Because that would not be the God of the Bible. It's a, it's a good question for us to always ask ourselves. Do, am I really interested in worshiping God? Or am I more interested in worshiping my version of God? Okay, now even more pointedly, this second commandment. A good next question would be, how do you worship God? So you worship God, you're committed to that, you're committed to worshiping the God of the Bible, all and everything that he is. But the next question, how do you worship God? Do you worship God the way you want to worship him? Or do you worship God the way he wants to be worshipped? You know, the Bible has a lot to say about this. There's some disagreement amongst Christians over how much God has to say about this and how much the Bible regulates how we should worship God. But the Bible has, there's no doubt, a lot to say from God about how he wants to be worshipped, how he wants to receive your affection, how he wants to be sung to, how he wants to be prayed to, how he wants to be read to his word. So what is it that we're most concerned with? What is more important, you connecting with the worship or God connecting with the worship? Isn't that a common thing that you hear Christians talk about? Maybe as they're trying new churches and evaluating new churches, and maybe the thing that they're looking for is will say things like good worship. I'm looking for good worship. And usually what somebody means, in my experience, when they say I'm looking for good worship is, is the worship. And what's funny is they're thinking about the music. Now, we call our service here on Sunday, which will start in about an hour, a worship service, which means that from the who's our service leader today? Does anybody remember an offhand? It just would have my illustration was going to be more effective if I said their name, but it's OK. <laughs> Who is it? OK, so. From the moment Josh steps up here, right, to the moment I give, or whoever's preaching, today, me, the benediction, that's a worship service. Everything in between that is worshiping God, including the sermon, not just the music. But typically people say something like, I'm looking for good worship, and then they walk out and say the worship was good or the worship wasn't good. And what do they typically mean by that? They mean, I connected with it. It was meaningful for me. It really connected to me. It really affected me. Now, not necessarily awful, wicked things to say, but... Isn't the more important thing, does this worship connect to God? What's more important, what I get out of the worship or what God gets out of the worship? I mean, who is the worship for? When we design a worship service, who are we designing it for? Do we sit down and try to figure out 
everyone and every kind of person that, that might come through our doors and make it comfortable and meaningful and acceptable to them? No. Intelligible to them, of course. But meaningful to God. Effective toward God. Affectionate toward God. So how do I worship God? Do I worship God in a way that I want to worship God? Or am I at least interested in understanding how God wants me to worship Him? So it would be good for us to ask that question. To think about it. The Bible has a lot to say about it. And then the third, do you treat God's name with fear and reverence? So ask yourself, do you use the name of God flippantly? And remember that when God talks about in this third commandment, when God talks about honoring his name, he means more than just a sequence of letters on a page. He obviously means means more than that. A name. What is a name? A name brings to mind everything that someone is. Right? Like I assume when you see written on a page, Eric Myers, you're not thinking about E and R and I and K. Right? You're not thinking about the name. You're not thinking about the letters. What immediately pops into your head? Try not to do it. Try not to do it. Eric Myers. Let's stop. You're staring at me. <laughs> Donald Trump. And what are you thinking about? Not what they look like primarily, but who they are. We don't know what God looks like, but we know who he is. He's revealed himself in his word. So it brings to mind the, the name. It brings to mind all that God is. When Moses said, as he was being called to go in and act as a rescuer of God's people, and he's nervous and frightened and says, what am I supposed to say to them? And God said, you tell them I sent you. And what did he say? You tell them I am sent you. I am the, the name of God, all that God is so. When I'm called to treat God's name with fear and reverence, am I honoring his name? Am I honoring God? Which is why this says honoring also his word and works. OK, let me close and then we'll recite it together with a paragraph from Charles Spurgeon, who had some things to say on these commandments. God leads men to see that the God revealed in Scripture and manifested in the person of the Lord Jesus is the God who made heaven and earth. Man fashions for himself a God after his own liking. He makes to himself, if not out of wood or stone, yet out of what he calls his own consciousness or his cultured thought, a deity to his taste who will not be too severe with his iniquities or deal out strict justice to the impenitent. So he rejects God as he is and elaborates other gods 
such as he thinks the divine one ought to be. And he says concerning these works of his own imagination, these be thy gods, O Israel. So God of the Bible or God of my imagination? That's the distinction. Okay, question number nine. Let's say it together twice and then I'll pray. What does God require in the first, second, and third commandments? First, that we know and trust God as the only true and living God. Second, that we avoid all idolatry and do not worship God improperly. Third, that we treat God's name with fear and reverence, honoring also his word and works. One more time. What does God require in the first, second, and third commandments? First, that we know and trust God as the only true and living God. Second, that we avoid all idolatry and do not worship God improperly. Third, that we treat God's name with fear and reverence, honoring also his word and works. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we always pray in this time, will you take these truths and drop them deeply in our hearts? That these would not just be words that we recite and memorize and know, but that these would be words that we believe and are changed by. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.